Welcome back to the first of what should be some great conversations here on the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you don't know by now, my name's Christopher Brown and I will be your host. Since the launch of the podcast, I've been asked the exact same thing. Why do you do this podcast? And I give everyone the exact same answer. This podcast is about talking to people. Today, we find ourselves often becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of conversations. So with this in mind, in 2019, I started this podcast to achieve one goal, get people to have conversations again. With no notes, no questions, I sit down with the subject to learn about them from them. Today's guest is no exception to that. Hillary Chapel and I have known each other for one year, and we met only once, but we sat down on a Wednesday afternoon to talk about her passion. As someone who has been homeless in Alberta, she knows firsthand what people today are struggling with. Our conversation goes from her first arriving in Canada in 1977 to her coming out in 1984 and what led her to becoming homeless in 2010. We also talk about her new work, doing research on LGBT homeless in Calgary and also across Canada. We dive deep into her outlook on homelessness and her vision to end homelessness in the next five years. With that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy cross-border interviews featuring Hillary Chapel. Thank you very much for sitting down with me today. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I know I reached out to you back uh, in 2019, but we finally got a chance to sit down. So thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for your interest in my work. So uh, as always, the very first question I ask anyone is where does your sense of advocacy come from? Oh, I think probably 40, 50 years ago, my mother, she was very much an advocate and uh, in her job when she moved to Canada, my mom was Canadian. When she moved to Canada back home, she's worked with the developmentally disabled and she got us kids involved and I started working with them. I wasn't very good at it, mind you, I'll be honest with you. But I've always been there and I've always volunteered in the co-op where mum and I lived. I'm addicted to volunteer work. So you say where you came from. So where did you come from? Let's, no. let's talk about your past. London, England. So you, London, England. So when did you come over to Canada? Uh, 1977. So I've been here as of the end of March. 43 years. So 43 years. So in London, uh, your mother was an advocate as well or? Not, not really, no. When she came back home to Canada. So my mother was a Canadian. Only when she came to, back to Canada. Yes, and my father was English. Okay. So when you were in England, did you see your family get involved with advocacy work or was it more worrying about themselves? Because I know in England at that time, there was a lot going on. So was it more looking out for the family and then everyone they own their own business. They work like 16 hours a day. There was no time. There was no time. No, so, they owned a driving school. So talk to me about your uh, your past. Talk to me about how, how a woman from London, England <laughs> comes to Canada and becomes the person you are today. So what, what's your earliest memory that you can remember of getting out there, doing advocacy work? Let's talk about the gay advocacy because okay. that's something I'm just... I beam about, I'm passionate about, and I cry about, okay? okay? So that all started when I came out in 1984. 
Um, it took a while, but I moved to Red Deer to be with a girlfriend who I was dating at the time. And we used to all hang out on a Sunday and go for breakfast. And we started talking about the conservative government at that time not doing anything about our rights. And we were moaning and groaning, so we decided to form an organization called Just People Equal Rights Society. So once we did that, we started uh, talking about... Um, getting on the media and at that time a lot of my friends who were involved hit their faces I didn't I told my family no I'm doing this and they said are you kidding me and I said no I'm not kidding I was in Red Deer and I was out to them except for my father but he was back in England and uh, I said no it's time well we're worried about your safety well it's something we're going to have to take care of but nothing ever happened I was very fortunate and I was in Red Deer at the time so that was at that time it was very redneck okay and then um, what we started to do is we thought well form and it was my idea and I discussed it with my group is doing um, a summit talking about having a trade show and talking about getting together with everybody in Alberta because we were centralized in central Alberta getting people together from Edmonton Calgary Lethbridge etc and talking about how we can go forward to pressure the government to uh, and what we finally did is talked about introducing same-sex rights in the Alberta Human Rights Commission because at that time there was none and we were kind of last on board kind of thing also some of the things we did is we fought against um, the Alberta report and at that time was a western very western publication who was anti-everything um, uh, and very pro-Christian, more evangelical, and they hated us and our community. We were evil. We should be shocked. We should be. Well, I was going to say, in the eighties, in in general, to be an out person, not even just in Alberta, but across Canada and across the world, it was not a thing you did, right? You, if you did, you were, and I use this term uh, lightly. Uh, you were putting a final nail in the coffin, saying, "Okay, I'm out," and people were, would back away from you. You'd lose friends, you'd lose family members, you'd mm-hmm. lose your job potentially because. Because, like you said, you don't have the rights enshrined in the Constitution or the uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms and in the Alberta right, Human Rights Code. So, in 84, you make a big decision. I did. Did I you did. see the backlash? Well, I wasn't in Red Deer then, but I, I came out because my mother challenged me. Okay, how? What do you mean she by challenge? sat me down and said, look, I know you've had a, an affair with someone I know. And because that person and I were friends and I didn't know it was going to happen. But the night before it happened, I dreamt of it. Yeah, I know that's weirded me out too. But it just kind of happened. Yeah. I hope my wife doesn't hear that, but it was a long time ago. Um, so what I I did, we, we had a tiny relationship. It wasn't much. And I was in love, right? Of course I wasn't. But, you know, yeah. at that time, I was 24 years old. My marriage was over to my husband. That was abusive as well. But I tried to be a faithful wife. So were you married in Canada? Yes, I was for the first time, second time, and third time. First, so the first, so when you moved in 74? 77. 77, you were married or you got married while you were in Canada? I got married when I was 21 in 1981. Okay, and then that ended, you got married a second time? Yeah, and, and that was in 2010. Okay, so, and then a third time. Which was last year in February 2nd. Okay. Chronological, now I get it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so in 
77, you came here. Yeah. 80, 84, you come out because your mother sits you down and has a conversation with she you. She does. And, and, and basically what she said is, I know what's going on. I want you to accept yourself. If you don't, I'm going to get you some counseling. I am with you. So she was a supporter. She was. Did you expect that? With my mum, yeah, we were very close. We left my dad together and all that kind of personal stuff I really don't want to get into. And was it just you and her? It was living together. My sister and her family and my brother and his family had already emigrated here, right? Yeah. But they didn't know then. And then finally we told, I told my nieces and my sister, they were cool. It took a while, but they were cool. My brother has really never been cool. But never. Okay. And he lives in Tabor. Do I need to explain that conversation? Yeah. No. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I think thanks. you just explained it by just saying that word. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, 84, you come out. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, 1990, you start becoming a major advocate for LGBT issues. Except I never chained myself to any buildings. That wasn't my style. Okay. My style was to talk and to advocacy through organizational front lines, getting out of the silos as much as we could, doing the uh, summit three years in a row. I did it twice and then I walked away and it was time for somebody else to take over. And... <laughs> Do you, have you ever heard of a gentleman called Stockwell Day? He's still alive. Oh, yeah. Mr. Uh, I'm going to drive a skidoo up into a press conference. <laughs> well, I had an interview with Stockwell Day. He was the finance minister at the time. Or yeah, I forgot he that was he was the finance MLA minister. MLA of Red Deer North. Finally got an interview. And he was very polite, I'll be honest. Yeah. And shakes, sit down, can I get you a coffee? Took me six months to get in to see this guy. And he turned around to me and he said, I challenge you, you can't do that. What about two roommates? They're going to get same-sex rights because they're roommates in college. I said, it's not like that. And he kept on being defensive. So I finally said to him, he said, you'll never win. And I said, watch, we'll see you in court. We did with the Delvin Brain case. Yep. And we won. So, dot well day. Sorry, mate, but I beat you. Um, so going through this advocacy work, like you said, uh, you had Getty, you had Lougheed, you had Klein, you had three of the most conservative premiers across Canada yeah. fight, you're fighting to get your own human rights mm-hmm. approved into a Alberta Human Rights Code. How does that not just wear you down? Because for me, that would just wear me down like there's no tomorrow. Well, at some of that time, I was also working for the Alberta government at the time. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And they told me, go ahead, but be cool. Okay. And so we're going to be doing the transit summit. Um, transit. Why am I talking about transit? I did one of those three months ago. The summit. Alberta summit, we called it. Okay. Yeah, we uh, we hired somebody I worked with to drive everybody and shuttle people around from the party and uh, so no one drunk and drive. So that was a good bit of thinking on my part. That was my idea. Mm-hmm. And I did a press release, my press conference, the first one I ever did. And my committee said, no, don't do that. And I didn't listen to them. That went very well. Um, But we finally did it and we started talking about challenging the government. Now, what was also going on at that time, there was a commissioner called Jack O'Neill. And you can look up O'Neill. He got the Order of Canada, I believe. And he was asked by, what's his name? 
know what he looks like, but it doesn't really matter. It's not pertinent to the conversation. But he, um, Jack O'Neill with two other people went around the province talking about dignity and rights. Now my organization decided to present him Red Deer and I and another girl. Um, who I don't know what's happened to her actually and that's fine but we challenged them at the table and then I got a press the press hit me up on it that report O'Neill recommended we get same-sex rights in the Alberta government completely even though they paid for this for a six-month project yeah tossed it in the garbage who, who was the premier Klein at this time or was it still Getty <sighs> no it was Klein Okay. Because I know Klein, in when the same-sex marriage ruling was coming down, he said he might use the notwithstanding clause. Yeah, and that's what we were challenging him on, that you couldn't use that. Mm-hmm. Boy, we sat up nights after nights writing papers. Then we lost it on the computer once, and we had to stay up all night, four of us drinking copious amounts of coffee after a work day, doing this to submit a proposal. That was, I remember those days when I could stay up all night. Couldn't do it now, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely do it now. I'm usually in bed by 9.30, quarter to 10. Oh, I hear you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, being becoming 60 is a little different than when I was 20, ready to take on the world. Or, I'm 34, and I feel like I shouldn't I should be taking on yeah. the world, but I'm going, now. Oh, let someone else do it. Well, I'm 60 in May, and it's petrifying me. Oh, gee, wow. But bring it on. I'm at my best life right now, so I'm not scared of anything. Like, I'm at my best life. I'll well, we'll probably get into that in a yeah. further part the conversation so anyway that happened so finally our friend Delwyn Bren came along and if you don't know about Delwyn Bren you don't know much about gay rights in Alberta and I suggest you write down the name and start looking it up okay. there was no internet at that time either so all the work we did wasn't out there just people put it it's not on the internet you can't hardly find anything so I wrote a story about my experience which I will send you I wrote a blog okay. and I'll put it on my website yep we'll and link to your website at the end okay cool good you can tell me how to do that but no I was kidding <laughs> I, I've got that part but so friend came along and he did the challenge with the King's College okay and what friend did he was an instructor with the King's College, which was very Christian, but they knew he was gay. Then a board member came along who didn't like it, and they forced him out. So Wren decided to challenge that to the, uh, the court. He won. Then the Appeals Court of Alberta took it up, and he lost. So And so and then it went one more time to a court challenge. So Wren decided, with some friends and supporters, one of them being married, Billet, to take it to the Supreme Court. And that's when we all rallied around, and that was an emotional time. And I was doing some media. I was back in Calgary at that time, and I was doing some media. And I remember distinctly that day, I was asked to do an interview the day the same-sex rights came down on global television. And uh, they had pulled an ad. They were about family first, and this isn't about family. And they pulled the ad. And I was really in respect with CFAC at that time, television, because they pulled the ad, because it was very anti anti-queer shall we say an anti-family so they pulled the ad the same day as I went on the air wow so I did the I did an evening piece and I did a morning piece with um, Gould Gillis who just retired he just remembers me when I saw him last time actually (laughs) so yeah that happened and they were supposed to get on an opponent to challenge me at 5 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning or whatever that looked like way back then yeah (laughs) And they never showed up. Oh, wow. There you go. So I rocked. (laughs) I rocked it. The day that vote came down, I did remember the votes, but I've forgotten it now. 
we parted. And I think you probably were around back then. I don't know how young, 2005. Yep, I was in college. I remember watching it in uh, my uh, dorm room at the time. And I remember just listening to it because I was wondering if it was going to be close because everyone had anticipated it being close and they didn't know how close it might be. And that was a free vote. Yeah, exactly. Because I knew some liberals were against it. Some uh, One NDP was against it. So there were people against it from all sides of the party. Oh, yeah. It and wasn't an on-party lines at all. No. But you know what? We won. Yeah. And nobody challenged it afterwards because they realized. And then all the laws pertaining to pensions, CPP, UI, at the time EI, right? Yeah. That all started to change it. And then Klein said, no, we no, can't no, fight no. this. I remember him saying something like, the sun will shine tomorrow. Let's just move on. And we moved on. Yeah. But so, the battle, I will tell you, I was one of the people on the front lines in that battle, and we worked ourselves silly. But you know what, Chris? It was worth it. So would you say, and I'm generalizing here now, and I, I, if you don't want to talk too much deeply into this, I'm okay with that. Would you say that being gay in the 80s and 90s was the hardest part of... Being gays, gay in the 80s and 90s, being gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual... Yeah, I got it. In uh, 1980s to 2000 was hard for someone in Alberta. Oh, terribly tough. Because you think downtown Toronto, it'd be a little bit more acceptable in that yeah. time. And Calgary was coming around, but especially in Red Dead, uh, when we had our group going, a couple of the ladies who were on our group, they were dating and they lived on farmland. And they went home one night after a meeting, there were crosses burning on the building. Uh, a couple of my friends um, who weren't on the committee, but we knew of because we hung out together and went to the, the infamous pride dances where never, ne- nobody knew where it was except us, right? Yeah. <laughs> and boy, did we party back then. There you go. Oh, yeah. We worked hard and we partied hard. I used to drink hard, too, back then. Did you... Uh... But what happened is... Um, and a guy, he finally got beaten up and then we found him dead. But it wasn't because he was gay. It was because of his epilepsy. But he was a short little guy. And five big, huge guys gay bashed him to near death. Because they thought he was gay. That he was gay. Oh, I thought you said he wasn't gay. No, he was gay. Okay. But he wasn't, he was beaten up because he was gay, but he didn't die because he was gay. He was dead two years later. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And that was just, it just, like, why? Did like, you feel discrimination during that time? Yes. How? Well, actually, a little later on. But at that time, yes, as well. I had a job, and um, I was fired because I was gay, and I said the wrong thing. They used it as an excuse. said it was something religious. I said it wasn't. It was because I was gay. We know that. But they were covering business-wise. So how do you go on after that like how do you continue the fight I know uh, you have to for today's generations for next generation of course but how do you continue going on because if you get constantly bombarded with negativity which I'm assuming at that time you were I was and everyone else who was openly LGBT um, how do you continue going on because you don't have a choice but isn't you there don't. a day isn't there a day that you just have to say I need to give up because I, no. I, I, this could kill me look what happened to that boy, uh, that man no no I never there was never, never a moment that crossed your mind never a moment because by that time I had the majority of my family support my father moved back to England I never did see my brother that much I love him my brother by the way don't get me wrong we just don't talk anymore yeah but um I knew I couldn't I was a strong woman back then 
Then I got weak again. Now I'm strong again. I couldn't give up for the sake of this country, for the sake of my province, for the sake of my home, and for the sake of me and the people I love. I could not give up. There was never a thought in my mind. I had come that far. I'd been out in the media, all over the place. Come on, bring it. And the words in my mouth were, Chris, bring it on. And the thing is, the, the, the question I have to ask then is, why you? There were several others. I know. I wasn't well, there. Because you say you you grew up in a household that didn't really do advocacy work until you got to Canada with no. your mom. But there must have been a moment when you, or that, that moment that you said, I need to do something. Was it, hey, someone got fired? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what that moment was. When we, Before we got the group going, Just People, I told you we all went out on Sundays and we got together for breakfast and <laughs> shared a few laughs and drank coffee because we were probably hung over from the night before or something stupid yep. and we talked and one of the guys we used to hang out with worked at Sears in downtown well in Red Deer and Red Deer North which doesn't exist anymore right obviously as you know that and he wasn't allowed to come to those meetings he wasn't allowed to have breakfast with us because we were discussing gay issues and he defied them that's a true story really that is right and he wasn't a big strong big guy like not being rude but yourself yep he was and he also suffered from cerebral palsy and he just wanted inclusion right sense of community and once a week we all got together and somebody ate the biggest chocolate cake they could find as a challenge and we had breakfast and we laughed and laughed and laughed but then we got serious it's time we all had enough and once those things started hearing about it and the lies on the radio and the tv with the press releases my government of my province started saying i can can cannot this is where i'm going to be honest i got pissed off and it's like okay you want to see let's rock and roll and i feel that same way about our present government you want to go there i don't care I am a strong woman. I have been through homelessness. This is nothing. Bring it on, pal. If Jason Kenney ever wants to challenge me, and two of my best friends died of AIDS. So you know what? Later on, that was personal too. So I'm going to defend those guys' memory as well. That's why I'm still doing this. So at this time, are you politically active? Or are you more working on the advocacy group? Advocacy. But I've always been political. My mom taught me to be political. We were away. Was she a left-leaning supporter as well? No. 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 I'm the only one in my family who's left. Really? (laughs) Really. So how does a... Is it because of your background? Because you're gay, you think that you're a little bit more left-leaning or... Well, it's social justice, period. It's not just because I'm gay. I'm against racism, against fascism, against hatred, period. I don't get it. And one of the things that really... Do you know, I think it was when I was in the shelter. When I was in there, I met a lot of indigenous women. And I wasn't taught about genocide, the cultural genocide that we put these folks through. I didn't know. I knew nothing. I was a blank stare. And I looked at these women. I wasn't taught Indians were bad. Indians, right? And then I started talking. And once I heard these stories, I kept around and apologizing to these ladies and shaking hands. I felt so guilty. And the genocide and the sissy scoop, all that stuff really drives me crazy. And I've got friends who are indigenous and I've got friends who I work with. And I, I've got one that is a mentor to me who works at the USC. She's amazing. Um, I'll tell you her name off the air because you want to interview Yeah. Because she's very cool, very cool. So is her whole family. 
and I realized then that I just can't stand any kind of hatred and unacceptance. It's not about being left. Well, I guess it is. But to me, it's not about being left. It's being fair and decent and not lying. I find the right to tell a lot of lies to make their point. I was raised not to lie. I'm a very honest woman. And lying just... Okay, well, you get my point, don't yeah. you, sir? Yeah. So we'll talk about your homelessness now. So in 2010, like you said in our pre- in a previous statement, uh, you were married. Again. Again, for the yeah. second time. And then in 2012, you became homeless. Yeah, we separated. Okay. So she you- was she was abusive. Okay. Um, controlling, not physically. Only once she hit me. Um, but physically, she was abusive and very controlling. I bought the car. I wasn't allowed to use it. She'd take it everywhere. She'd bring her grandchildren home to visit on the weekend. And I did love them. But she'd sleep all weekend because she worked nights. And I'd have to look after the kids and do everything. She, and if she went away, she'd take my car and she'd go and visit her daughter down east and left me nothing. And I had no money. I couldn't understand why I couldn't hold down a job. I was in so much trauma, but I didn't know what trauma was there. I do now, obviously. Yeah. And that's part of my PTSD. I suffer from PTSD. But it's okay. I've got that under control too. Great doctor. There um, you go. Um, so how does... Uh, so had you had experience with anyone who was homeless before no. potentially going no. into a homeless shelter? No. So what happened was we split. I went to see some friends I used to be very close to and I would love to see them again. I just don't know where they are in Red Deer because I lived there twice in Red Deer and I hung out with a lot of people and partied with them and stuff. And um, I, I, um, I met some friends when I lived in Red Deer and I told her about my abusive marriage, this one girl, and she said, if it gets that stage, come and hang out. So in 2012, I couldn't afford my bills. I couldn't afford to pay the rest of the rent on the house. I couldn't work. I couldn't hold down a job. I didn't know what was happening. And she, the I call her the Wicked Witch of the East, um, made me feel so bad, you know. It's okay. It's done now. It's called counseling. Yeah. So I you left, left that marriage? And then I went to Edmonton because I had nothing. So is that where you stayed in the homeless shelters? No. No. Okay. No. no. I was part of the hidden homeless in Edmonton. Okay. So that's couch surfing. That's not realizing you're homeless, but you're homeless. You're going you, from couch to couch to couch every night or every week. Yeah. Basically, I lived out of a suitcase and I took it everywhere. So then finally... What happened was, um, my, I got back to Calgary. My sister lived here, and her, my sister and I are very close. She passed away five years ago. It's good to hear. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's good. There's another one worse, and we'll get to that in the story in a moment. Um, so what happened was, I, um, I went to Edmonton. I was doing this and that, and then my sister said, do you want to come back to Calgary? I said, Calgary's home. I can't get my shit together in Edmonton. Excuse my language. I just can't get it together. I didn't know Edmonton. Edmonton wasn't home. I hated the transit. The people weren't like Calgary. No offense to our friends. Up north? No, of course. Yeah. I know some really cool people up there too. Yep. Really cool people. But I, not for me personally. I was in trauma. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't hold down. Then I finally got a job. I got out to a place on my own. It was infested in bed bugs. I lost all the furniture I had. Everything I had to buy and start again. So I did start again. I went and moved back to my friend's house again. I moved in and out four times. I came back to Calgary. 
I had a bad landlord. They never gave me a receipt for the damage deposit or the rent I paid. I was due to get EI from my job. They couldn't find me because I was all over the place. So I lost EI, I had no income. So that landlady pushed me out. I had $10,000 worth of personal equipment and everything else. I lost everything again. Everything I owned. So this is 2012? No, that was then in 2014. 14. Oh yeah, we're moving through about 10 or 12 places by that time. (laughs) All in all, I was in 12 different places before I got into the shelter. Okay. So you can imagine when the shelter space came up, I was grateful. Um, I am. So anyway, she left me completely in the lurch. I had no money. I couldn't go anywhere. I ended up having about four or five bucks to my name. I got on the sea train. I went down to Denny's. My sister couldn't take me in. And I understood it. And there's no blame here. Anybody blames my sister, I will react. Because she did what she had to do. Right? So I, I went to Denny's all night on McLeod Trail. Sat up all night. They took sympathy on me and gave me free coffee and a free kind of snack, whatever it was, which I couldn't eat. And I had about $20 left on my cell phone. And I just put it out there. And a friend in Red Deer came and picked me up the next day. I slept there a whole day because I was exhausted. Wow. And then I stayed with her 11 days and I had to go back to Edmonton again. She didn't want me anymore. But the EI finally came through. Oh, that's good. I managed to buy a laptop because I needed to find places to live. I looked for jobs, couldn't get it. So friends in Edmonton took me in. And that's when I went couch surfing again all over the damn place. I managed to finally get a job in Edmonton. That turned out to be very abusive employer. I won't tell you who it's from because we could get sued and we don't want to do that. No, I don't want to get sued. (laughs) I do I. I'm I'm in good shape right now. I don't want to get sued. So anyway, I said to my sister, help. Just help. Do something. So she called um, up this woman's shelter and and they got me an intake. They said, call them that night. I called them that night and said, can you get to um, to Calgary tomorrow? I said, I'm on my way. I packed up all three little bags I had. I had nothing else. And I got on a Greyhound bus, I had about 200 bucks left from a paycheck. I didn't even quit my job properly. I quit it online because I just had to get back home. And as soon as I, I got in that intake, I knew I'd be fine. I have a song that matches that. It's with, um, it's called, um, oh, I'll think of it, don't worry. Um, the Two Brothers. But it's a song that helped me get through my time in the shelter. Then I started taking counseling. So before Am I we boring go, you? No, before we go into that, because there's something I want to talk about. What was the first night like? When I was out on my own on the streets? No, well, that plus in the shelter. It was a small single bed that I'd never, mind you, in when I was homeless, hidden homeless in Edmonton, I slept on a concrete floor a couple of times. Don't ask. I did. I had no choice. Hey, you have to do what you have to do, right? Yeah. On a blanket. Oh, God, I was cold, man. I was so cold. But that's all right. I'm, as I said, I'm a very tough woman when I have to be. I come from tough stuff. I wouldn't want to mess with you. Oh, no, don't <laughs> go there. <laughs> no, that's not how tough that way. Resilience, mm. I guess is the word I'm using. Okay, Resilience. Yep. yep. Strong physically, strong. Now I'm as weak as heck. I, my wife takes me down and she's shorter. I'm, I'm just, no. I'm not a strong woman at all. Okay. But I'm very resilient. I come from stock who, with my mum going to England and leaving her country of 30 years and having a, a father that was a twit to her and being away from all her family. She made it. 
and she taught me that resilience. So I knew I could do this too. I'm my mother's daughter. Anything less is unacceptable, right? Yeah. Grit your teeth. Do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah. And I talked to myself in a way. No, not as in, but talk to myself in my mind. Come on, Chapel. Come on, Chapel. You can do this, Chapel. Come on. I, we talk in our last name. I don't know why I do that. But Chapel, you got this. You got this, sister. Right? That kind of thing. So I spent the night in Denny's. And then about six o'clock, I left. Found a Tim Hortons. Had a couple of bucks left. Somebody felt sorry for me. I don't know why. I just said my situation gave me five bucks. Well, Chinook opened. Chinook Center. You know where that is too, I presume? Yes. Yeah, okay. I walked over there when it opened because it was cold and all my clothes were gone. I had one outfit that day ever to my name. One solitary outfit. I was also trying to get my clothes. I was also trying to get it in some kind of security. That person let me down. And by that time, I knew I lost $10,000 worth of stuff. It was gone. And asked me how mad I was. How mad were you? Pissed again. Another good word of mine. So anyway, got to Red Deer, got back to Edmonton, came back home. My sister got me back. And September the 6th, 2014, I was sheltered. That first night, they gave me a tiny bit of food. This shelter doesn't give you a lot of food. They give you a voucher system. They don't even do that anymore. Encourage you on 600 and someone dollars a month to buy food and then pay rent, but never mind. That's my beef with the Alberta government. Um, even back then. So did you... But I made it. But that first night, I had one thin little blanket, one really thin pillow. I was scared. I had a roommate I just met. And she came from a background herself. And I'm going... And they gave me a tiny bit of food. And I remember the first meal I had. There was no butter. They gave me some bread, a little bit of bread. I had... <laughs> Um, bologna macaroni sandwich with a tiny bit of lettuce on it and that was my first meal it, I apologize to interrupt here but I have no. to ask the question for someone who's homeless that's a lot though isn't it yeah like that's like that's a four course meal to them right it can be or so it cannot be while you're looking at back then and you're saying I didn't get margarine you must have been thinking I have food right now right yeah I did I was grateful, but I was also scared. Yeah. Because I didn't want to screw up. I finally had a bed, and I knew if I had a bed, I could work on me. I could get my act together. Yeah. I knew I could do it. Their resilience. I started gritting my false teeth again. <laughs> Thank God for false teeth. <laughs> you probably want to edit that bit out. No, everything's... <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I gripped my teeth, and I sucked it up. Let's do this. Come on, I'm ready. Come on, let's do this. So you say, come on, let's do this. And then it starts. And then it the starts. The thing that you've talked about and the, one of the reasons why you're sitting down here, discrimination against LGBT homelessness. Yep. What was it's, that like for you? Do you know what socialization, isolation is, Chris? Yep. Okay, a lot of people are homeless and who have mental health issues like I do. Suffer from socialized isolation. Jeez, rent my mouth out today or what? And what that looks like is that you just stay by yourself. A lot of people were approaching me, um, the staff saying a lot of people don't like you because you're gay, because I'm very honest. 
You're gonna touch their bum. You're looking at their ass. What? Really? You're gonna harass them while they're sleeping. Oh yeah. Well, not that I could get in their room. Yeah. They're all locked. But still, that's what people are probably saying because I heard that all the time, and I wasn't even homeless. I was when I tell people, "Get oh, you're gonna touch me, and you're gonna do this while we're sleeping, so we can't be in the same room together." I'm like, "Oh yeah." Do you know the only person I look at now is my wife? Exactly. Well, I I look at my husband, but yes. She's cute. She's adorable, and she's mine. Exactly. Why would I screw up my marriage? Thank you. I, yet again, it's something. It's a, a conversation for another day to try yeah, and solve yeah. the straight issue about gay people and yeah, t- yeah, that's feeling. a big one over dinner and Caesar salad. That one is <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, I started going to counselling. They all suggested it. Um, took about three months for me to go counselling. I did. And um, the first thing I talked about, she said, "What do you want to talk about? Why you're going to counselling for about six months?" I said, "Rejection." And that's the thing I suffer from with PTSD. Not that my family were evil, but I felt like at that time, because I was on my own, I felt totally rejected by my family. But my court, I saw my sister two weeks after I was in there. She was grateful. There was no animosity. I knew she had to do what she had to do. And I, my brother knew. Now, my brother's never, never been happy I was homeless. How dare that happen to the family name? I'm a chapel and I'm homeless. <gasps> How could that happen? It must be my fault. Really? And so many people say that, right? You're homeless, so it's your fault. You're a bum, you're a creep, you're not worthy of my time. Dignity and respect, Chris, is not tied to a set of house keys. No. Okay? Don't ever forget that. Not that I'll let you. So, I just kept on plugging on. I finally got a job. It was at Target. (laughs) Target got... (laughs) I was going to say, Target lasted for what, six months? <laughs> Not even that, three months. And I was out of a job again. I got another job. Then all my back issues started because I'd always had major back problems. It got worse and worse and worse with the lifting because I'd worked in, for years, I worked in produce. I'm a former produce expert. Okay. Right? I used to know my produce by smell only and blindfolded. Wow. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Good I probably you. couldn't do it now. But I, I love produce. I was a, a Addicted, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was fine. So I got a job at Target, didn't work out, had to leave, I managed. I left before, I didn't get any severance because I was part-time. I wasn't gonna get any severance anyway with them. And even though I was full-time, I was part-time staff. And I was lifting stuff for the liquidator and I busted my back again. Well, not busted it, but it felt like it. And I just went back in for my Sunday shift. I said, I can't do this. I'm in too much pain. So my case manager finally got me in physio. That hurt so much, I couldn't do the physio. And then the back settled down. I got out of homelessness. And then I started falling and stuff like that. And now my back is buggered. We're working on H right now. But that's another story and it will happen. But it's going to take about another six months to a year. Thank God for savings. And I'll tell you how I came to that lady because people will wonder. Um, so how long were you in the shelter? 16 months. So from September 6th? To Christmas to Eve. 2014. Christmas Eve, believe it or not. Yep. 2015. And the reason I got out is that while I was there, I was starting to feel better. I got on a website and I checked out a girl 
and apparently that girl was checking me out. For the last two years, we checked each other out and said, nah, but neither one of us subscribed. We subscribed at the same time. Call that fate? Yeah. And as soon as we met, I bought her a coffee, and that was it. I knew she was the one. And that's your current wife. And that's my wife now, yeah. And we, she got me to come and visit with her on weekends and get to know her and her daughter. We fell in love really quickly. I mean really quickly. And only after three months I asked her to marry me. Wow. And I knew. And we just got married, I said, in February 2nd. Our first year anniversary is coming up in two weeks. Actually, it's going to be your anniversary is on the day that this airs. February 2nd? If that's a Saturday, Saturday, then yes. Cool. (laughs) So there you go. Oh, anniversary present, wife. There you go. Instead of buying you something, here, honey, I love you. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, And that was how I got out of homelessness. So I had my stuff that I had there. They gave you saucepans a few, and I picked up some stuff during my when I was on Alberta Works, and I she got her daughter's car and bought it back. But I moved out on Christmas Eve, and then we went back two days later to pick up my stuff and book out of my room. And that was it. I was petrified that I was going to make a mistake. You were rushing into this? No, because I was in a new home, and was somebody going to kick me out again? You go through that when you've been homeless. But no, she never did. And she's always told me, you always have a home. She owns a house, right? So as well as she is my wife, weird as this may seem, I'm also her tenant. But the relationship works, right? That's good. And, but I started getting involved. When I was in the shelter, they, they knew, the management knew that I did a bit of media stuff with the activism. So I did some media stuff for them. And then I went down to Seoul of the city, it's next city. That was fine. And before you know it, um, I was invited to go to a vibrant communities Calgary Poverty Talks meeting. I didn't have tickets to get there, but that's fine. They gave me some at the shelter. They also gave me some tickets to go and see my sister when I first saw her. I was looking for jobs all the time. I couldn't find anything. Oh, you're you're making me think, which is a good thing at my old age. The brain is ticking. So, in those 16 months in that shelter, what did you learn about yourself? That I'm tough. I also learned that this is what I wanted to do when I was out. Working homelessness. Not necessarily gay homelessness at that time, or LGBTQ2S discrimination. I learned that I was, I had to do it because the media stuff and I got involved with a couple of committees. When the Homeless Child of Rights came out, I got involved with the CHF, Client Action Committee, which I'm still on. I'm not on Vibrant Communities uh, Poverty Talks anymore, but I still work with them directly with a sliding scale. Um, I've helped get people low-income bus passes. I was one of the people on the committee who got low-income bus passes for people. Very proud of that. So I finally started getting involved. And then before you knew it, I don't know how come I... uh, Then I'll tell you how it happened that I got involved in this specific time. That's going to be a question I, I know that's coming up. So... 
you get out, you start living with your wife. Mm-hmm. Or at that time, your girlfriend. My girlfriend. Because... Fiance. Uh, fiance. Because three months after you met, you guys got engaged. Yes, and she said yes. And we got engaged at Tim Hortons. She Aww. didn't want to go anywhere fancy. She didn't know it was coming. She said, let's just go out for coffee. We've been busy all day. I thought, you really want to do this? I've got 12 long stem roses and in there. <laughs> So, all right, right in front of the fireplace in Tim Hortons, down I went. She said yes immediately, and I thought, cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, right on. And I, a lot of people might think, actually, a lot of people haven't ever said this to me. I asked her to marry me so I'd never be homeless again. No, that wasn't the reason. But will I ever be homeless again? No. You asked her to marry her because you loved, I loved her. her. So much. I, I mean, her and I, don't get me wrong, I'm sure you and Ricardo have ups and downs. We do too. But you know what? When all is said and done, we're peas and carrots. Yeah. That's our saying for each other. Exactly. We're peas and carrots. Like as long as we don't gone. go to bed at night mad at each other, we're we okay. And we can we have a hug in the morning. Yep. And a kiss good night at night. We're good. So that's, that's it. You know, we, we've got a relationship that works. It, we work well together. She it respects the work I do. She respects the volunteer work. She will not let me give up on this That's good. particular mission I'm on. There's no way, not a chance that she can let me give up. That's awesome. It's good to have someone like that who supports you, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you feel that in your marriage, too. Yep. So, uh, 2015, you're no longer homeless? Uh, no. Uh, no. Yes. Yes. 20, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. 20, December 24th. So, 2016, yeah. you're living with your fiancé. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2017 passes. And then... Oh, why do I have a lot of stuff happening in between to get oh, me started on this work? Okay. That's what I was going to say. When does the idea of the survey start? Because it wasn't the survey that started it. Okay. It was the research. Okay. I'll tell you what happened now. This is really interesting, this part of my story. I got involved in a couple of committees, I said, right? I told you. And then because I was so popular, I got involved. I worked with the city of Calgary indirectly and paid their lending to help shut them down with the NDP government too. Rock on. Because I used to have to use payday lending when I was doing the Edmonton scene. But I paid it off, thank God. Anyway... There's this homeless conference coming up, see? And I heard about it and I'm going, I'd love to go, that'd be interesting. There'd be no conference in my life. So I applied and I got it. Wow. The Lived Experience Scholarship. I went to London, Ontario. I, I called my wife that day and said, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm going to London. Also, Calgary Homeless Foundation at that time for a few years offered scholarships for a lived experience working with homeless population certificate. I won that scholarship too. And I did this four-month course, learning all about homelessness from trauma, indigenous issues, mental health, oh, so much. And I passed that with an A as well. So I knew I was set then. Also, when I was in the shelter, I took two courses from Mount Royal College uh, in continuing studies on uh, non-profit management because I love non-profit. And A, okay. So you knew it was, I knew it was my thing. Yeah. Right? I am good at this. And I know that now. So anyway, I went to this homeless conference. And one of the workshops in the briefing said, 
LGBTQ2S homelessness, adult homelessness. And I went, okay, I've got to go and check this out. Because when you go to these workshops, there's so many, you go do the one that you figure might suit you because there's so many. And there's only about 800 people in London. Yeah, it wasn't busy. The last one we had in November, there was 1,500. That's how big it is. But anyway, so I went this and I met the doctor, Dr. John Ecker, who's become a friend of mine, another mentor. And I said to John, I said, there's no research. He said, only the research I've done on adult queer homelessness. And I went, you're kidding me. He said, no, I'm not. I went, this is wrong and I'm going to fix it. And he looked at me, he'd only just met. He said, you're going to fix it? I said, yeah. Don't know who you are, but you're going to try and fix this then. And one of the people who helped me, who was head of the Working Homeless Population course, seemed to feel like she was my escort in London. I don't know why, because I'm a big girl. But okay. Okay. She, said, okay, she could be your escort if she was. So I went out for a smoke break. Yeah. Because unfortunately, I still smoke. I'm, I'm evil. I don't drink. Don't do drugs. So that's fine. And I, I met someone. I said, I've just been in this interesting workshop because I talk too much. So I told him and I said, there's nothing going on with queer homelessness. And I said, I'm going to get a workshop going for next year. You are? And I said, by the way, who are you? Oh, I run the Aura Host Program for foster kids who identify as LGBTQ2S who are homeless. And I went, another coincidence. So I said, if I set up a workshop, will you be on my panel? I said, yep, get in touch. Business cards exchanged, handshake. Go back to uh, Calgary. And I talked to our research director at that time was a guy called Dr. Nicholas Falvo. And you can look up Dr. Nick, he's a great guy. He's become a really good friend. And he's also part of the NDP party. Okay. Yeah, his wife is very active in the uh, union movement. Okay. Okay, cool. So anyway, he's not with us anymore, but I, I said to him, Dr. Nick, we're gonna do this. He said, well, there's research out there. I said, you look it up. He's, I've got, he's got a catalogue of research of, of homelessness. This guy's an expert. Couldn't find anything. He called me and said, come in. Have a meeting an hour with me at CHF offices. Let's talk. So we set up a workshop. Wow. Next year. I got to Winnipeg. I got involved in another group that I didn't The homeless conference was in Winnipeg at that time? Yep. Okay. So well, this that, is what year? 2017 then? 2016. 2016, we're going into Winnipeg? We're going to Winnipeg. Okay, because Thunder Bay was in 2015. No, that was London, Ontario. London, sorry. London was oh, 2015. Oh, I know all the ones. Yeah, no, I'm just making, I'm just making sure I follow the chronological order here because yeah. I'm trying to figure so, out. Off to Winnipeg and I'm involved with another group and stuff. So I had to go for five days because I had meetings before that. Usually these conferences, they fly you in the night before the conference. Yeah. And you're there for like three and a half days, three nights in the hotel. And it's paid for. The lived experience of homelessness like me is usually paid for. People are selected, about 150 across the country, and it's paid for by federal government homeless funding. Yeah. That's how that works, okay? And sponsors and, you know. So I went in and I delivered this with Christine Johnson, Dr. Nick was our moderator, Dr. Alex, Dr. John Ecker. I'm in. And I said, I'm challenging all of you to do research on this. And they looked at me, who is this woman? I said, there's no research. Where's the data? And then I started getting to be a research nerd, which I am now currently a research nerd. Where's the data? Where's the data? Where's the data? Nothing. So I get on the plane coming back, 
And all of a sudden in Winnipeg Airport, we just made it in time because there were no cabs in Winnipeg, by the way. Cabs are horrible in Winnipeg, I'm just saying. So we get to the airport and this guy comes up to me and he says, you're Hillary Chapel, right? And I said, yeah. He said, you know, I'm with the Canadian Alliance doing homelessness. So Wally checks and we shook hands. He says, I want you to build me a training plan on gay homelessness. We don't know anything. I went, really? I said, you're on. <laughs> and that was the start. That was two so years. that was at an airport? That was at an airport in Winnipeg. <laughs> so you got challenged to do something at an airport and then it became your life mission, basically. Yes. Okay, so you get back to Calgary. And I, as soon as I met the airport by my wife, I said, she said, what happened? I'm excited I missed you. And I told her, she said, you're going to do this? I said, yep. What do you feel? Okay. You're not working anyway. Do it. So I, and this is when PowerPoint and I really had a strange relationship. <laughs> now I've beaten PowerPoint. Good for you. I've beaten PowerPoint. I'm starting to beat Excel. A yep. word and I are really great friends. That's okay. all I'm going to say about that. So I started, and then I went for funding for three different places. They wouldn't fund me. So I finally... Would they not fund you because you're an upstart? They don't know who you are? Or yeah, would they not well, fund people, you because they don't believe in the idea of no, the because I'm research. not an academic. There you go. Right? And I was involved with lots of different research topics. I mean, I've been on the seniors documentary too. I was the star of that. Another story, but it's not about queer homelessness. So anyway, that's fine. So I do this three different places, refuse funding, and I won't tell you who they are because nope. you know what? It's just not pertinent. No, exactly. Because you, at the end of the day, we'll talk about it later, but you do get the funding. No, not yet. Later on, you get the funding. Not for this one, but later maybe. on. Maybe. Oh, okay. I'd still a maybe. Okay. But I'm very positive that I'm going to get this. Okay. still a maybe. Okay. All right, so we'll talk about that later. So anyway, well, that's if you want to. I'm telling you what to do in your podcast. Sorry. It's a conversation, Hillary. All right, that's yeah. all it is. It's between right. you and so me. Anyway. So you get back and you start using... And then I hurt my back major again, so I put it on hold for a while and I couldn't move there for two weeks. And then I thought my wife was taking time off work and I hit stubborn mode. And then I said, that's it. Stop being so lazy. Get up. Go at it. Do it. Yeah. The resilience hit again, right? And... It came on to last year. All the research was done. I did a whole ton of research on this, on mental health, two-spirit community, diversity and inclusion. And when you're doing research, are you doing in-person research or are you doing online? Not yet, not yet. Not not yet, yet. okay. But somebody told me, because of the work I've done with other groups, that I should do community engagement. This is where the needs assessment survey comes up. So I decided I'm going to do this. So I tried to get funding again. Okay. And this Canadian line said, the guy that actually asked me to do this said, well, there's no funding. You've got to call this guy and this guy and this guy and you've got to check out your survey questions and do this. And I finally set a deadline. I said, May 31st. If you haven't heard from me, I'm doing this on my own. I hadn't heard. So I said to my wife, we haven't heard. Yeah. Am I doing this? She said, you're doing it. So out I came out with my poster in every place. Somebody put in all the gay bars. And before you know it, I started on June 10th. 2018? 19. 19, so just last year. Yeah. Okay. And I finished in August. Wow. And 25 done. And I did one of the surveys myself. So and I that, felt justified because I'd experienced it. And, that, and that's the one thing I did want to ask because it seems like a weird number just to pull out. Why 25? Ah, that's a good one. I like that. So when I originally concepted this work, 
I went on the point of time count. Do you know what point of time count is? Yep. Okay. So the point in time count, we'll be doing another one in April this year. But on 2018, I went on their point in time count on who's got the highest homeless rate. So I decided to do 100 all together. Didn't know where I was going to get the money, but, you know, resilience. Yeah. I'm still going to do that somehow. Yeah. Right? That's why Edmonton is next. Okay. So I did 25 because Calgary's got the highest number of homelessness in the, the province. Two, 2,911 so people. So Calgary has the highest, I just want to make sure I get this right here. Calgary has the highest homelessness LGBT or just homelessness across here, the board? Across the board. Okay. So then I get a percentage online. I found a survey, only one survey done, that our community has, there's about 13% of us who identify. As homeless? No. Queer. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Everybody said 10%, but there's the last survey done, and I've cited it in my research, and I'm going to send you that research, because I think you might be interested. 13%, and he surveyed about 2,000 people. So that's a fairly good survey focus group sample. So I cited that in my research, right? So that's why I decided on 25 Right? Okay. And that was 625 bucks. But because I did one myself, it was 600 bucks. Plus, once I look, these people came forward, some of them hadn't eaten for days. I had to feed them. They were hungry. Especially there was this one trans woman. I, I bled when I saw her, but I helped her. I got her down the source. I tried to get her into housing. I tried my best. And she was so hungry, I had to buy her two meals in one day for one sitting she was so hungry but she saved some for later on because she was on the streets she just got from Edmonton she got here because she was transgender and she found discrimination she came to Calgary because her sister was here but she was on the streets through the night and slept during the day at her sister's so but anyway well no we'll talk about we'll, we'll go into a little bit more detail here because how do you get the 25 people because uh, I'm, I'm a Facebook friend of yours so I, I saw that you were posting it on Facebook that oh, you were it? but um, were you out also out knocking the shelters or were no, you more no. because I know who the shelters are I sent the post of our email yeah then one somebody I got to know Mark Randall with HIV Community Link he he sent out some in some of the bars okay and I got a lot of people from the bars plus one of the places I got was Sunrise Community Resource Centre I got three in a row from them because they put it up they're a resource centre for homeless people people living in poverty people who are hungry in Forest Lawn right so and I happen to know the executive director so she put it up and she's going to be my first paid presentation they're paying me to do the presentation finally that's awesome yeah I'm charging but I gave them the cheaper rate because this year I put my rates up because I'm well known I can get away with it now (laughs) and it's called cost of living yeah I'm charging $3.50 for an hour and a half presentation which isn't bad no and it's 122 slides by the way wow plus speaker's notes it's a long presentation but it's not training it's training on discussion points Right. So anyway, here we go again. So you get the twenty-five. So then I do compile. they all come in at once or no? Are they sort of sporadically? Believe it or not, you're going to laugh, 
but it took me 69 days from the first one to the last one. I was invited to a resource fair for LGBTQ2S youth at the Alex, and I picked up three that day. They said, come and we'll see what happens. I took enough cash with me. I thought, I can finish this off right here, and I did. So I did, no, four that day alone. Wow. I had 100 bucks cash on me. I made sure I had 20s and 5s. I always gave my, I always give my participants a receipt, then they can't come back on me, right? Yeah. And they have to sign a consent form before we start the survey, right? Saying that you won't disclose their name. Uh, yes. All exactly. That. Yeah. It's kind of an ethical thing to do. Yes. Just, and I just, believe, just, just a tad. And I'm kind of ethical. Yeah, I'm kind of cool on honesty and that kind of setup. So yeah, I did it. Then I compiled the data in my Excel program. So I got all the names, I wrote out sheets of paper all over my floor. How many answered on this question? What were the ages? What were and then I compiled them all here. Then I made up graphs. And I'm gonna send you all this stuff. So without going into detail, because I know you can't name names, which I wouldn't want you to. I'm not going what to was name. the age range? This is very cool. 18 to 81. Really? Really. That's awesome. Not awesome that that's the... But the trouble is, the 81-year-old couldn't remember too much. Okay. But he did tell me some interesting stuff that there wasn't a... There was a gay person where he lived, and it's not really a shelter. It's a home, affordable housing. It's... uh, I won't tell you the name of the place either, but he was a sweet old guy, hard of hearing. This kind of looks like Santa Claus, a little older, and he told me that... He had such a nice case manager, case worker there. He, he one day he gave him a kiss. He felt so good about that. And he said, "Is that a bad thing?" I said, "Well, what did the staff say?" He said, "He's smart." I said, "Don't worry about it." Exactly. So uh, we'll go back to the survey here for a second, please. What was the theme of the survey? I'm going to send you all the questions, but there's lots. Basically, the theme was: How old are you? Were you a refugee? Um, I, what do you identify with? Um, trans, male, female, gay, lesbian, trans, female, trans, male, bisexual, right? Yeah. A lot of the themes were what age group do you fit in? How old were you when you became homeless? How many times were you homeless? Are you indigenous? If so, are you Métis, Cree, Sorti, which is Cree as well? Are you First Nations? And do you identify as Two-Spirit? Not all gay people identify who are indigenous as Two-Spirit. Yeah. Okay, I, I got five that identified as Two-Spirit and I put that in my graphs, okay? Some of them were, the, uh, the most interesting things I found were the mental health questions. I had. All of them basically had mental health issues with PTSD, major chronic depression. Three quarters of them suffered from some kind of addiction. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, because but, uh, believe it or not, some the alcohol addiction, all of them said they had gotten help with and they were fine. It was the drugs issue. It was the drugs issue. And that was what I was going to ask. Do you find, or would you say, that LGBT youth or people, adults, who are more addicted to drugs are more likely to become homeless than not? No. 
So homelessness doesn't, you don't think that homelessness affects just one section of the no, community? No, it's all. Absolutely It doesn't not. discriminate. No, it doesn't discriminate. A lot of, um, the highest rate of homelessness is indigenous culture. Okay. Now we've got 3% of indigenous people in our city. And yet the highest rate of homelessness in our city right now in Calgary is indigenous folks because of cultural genocide and they're still, they're not allowed their culture, their water's been taken away, their kids were taken away during the 60s group. How are they supposed to recover from that, Chris? Yeah. Right? You lose your kids. How do you cope, man? The kids were forced into, one of the people I went to school with, he was raped, he was beaten. And he was a soldier, yeah. and he still couldn't get over it. And he was a sniper in the army, and he was in a residential school in Northwest Territories. His stories, I, I mean, I was sitting there in class on debate and just tears struggling down my eyes. I couldn't get over it. And that, that's an area that I want to talk, talk about, too, because when you're talking to these people yeah. about their past, about their yeah. struggles, how does that not affect you? Can you, can you? I nearly did. So there were some times I went home after the meeting and shaking hands and paying them. I didn't pay him till after the survey was done. Yeah. And gave him a receipt. I did go home and talk about it. I didn't tell my wife who the names were, the age. I just wanted to talk. And I cried sometimes. I went, what can I do, man? But a few people I fed, and I always took out people for coffee, so they told one thing we know, and I know you know this too, because it's the first thing you did, and I noticed it when I came into your house, you offered me a coffee. Canadians talk over in a, they, they open up when they're in a safe space over a cup of coffee. Yep. That's what they do. When you're in a Tim Horton somewhere, you'll find a lot of our homeless are, especially those who were still homeless that I interviewed, a cup of coffee, a hot cup of coffee, a snack. But all of them said, do you mind if I have a snack? Of course I don't. Are you sure? I don't want to take advantage of you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So, but not all of them were homeless at the time. It's about half. But the, the people I met were so interesting. Were you surprised at any of the stories? Did you ever think to yourself, I wouldn't have guessed that coming from this person, or I wouldn't have assumed that you went through this because of, as of this person? No, I wasn't surprised. Because of the work I'd done in the community and other, because bear in mind, I'm a community leader. Yeah. So I'd done work in all areas, so nothing surprised me. Nothing. That's all. Because the way I see it, and this might sound stupid, gay people are people. So if you hear it from... The homeless community is a homeless community, but unfortunately we seem to distinguish between the queer community and the straight community. I don't. Yeah. But I'm doing this to help the, the gay community, right? I'm their voice now. I am the voice, and I am going to, what I've said at, in Edmonton when we were at the homeless conference, discrimination against the LGBTQ2S homeless community ends on my watch. Boy, did I get a round of applause for that one. And I still say, it's going to end, and it's ending now. And I'm going to make damn sure of it. Wow. Oh, yeah. Just watch me go. So, August of 2019, you finalize all... I yeah. think it's, it's all, all you the get, data. You it's get in. all the data. I do. So, what do you do with that data now? Because I'm thinking, okay, you've gotten this data... <laughs> 
am I happy with this data? Do I, uh, if you're like me, you want to go out and get more data to prove that you're dating I did, first? I knew. No, 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 no. So what I did, and I'm not arguing with you, by the way. No worries. Hey, it's a conversation. conversation. Yeah, it's a conversation. <laughs> so what I did is I compiled the data. Yep. Twix was at work. My wife's nickname, by the way, is Twix. Mm-hmm. Okay. Twix was at work, so I had some space where the, I could put all the names out there on the floor, and away I went. Coffee table ahead of me. Laptop. Pen in my teeth. You know how we get to work, us folks. Yep. And I compiled that data. I'd never compiled data in my life, but I'm an organizing idiot. So I knew if anybody could do this, I could. Everything I set out to do in this work so far, I've done it. I built a website yesterday. Really? I've never done that before, but I knew I could do it. I am so resilient and so tough that way mentally. Yep. Physically, no. Mentally, I'm as tough as heck. You bring it, I'll take it. Don't get me wrong, I still cry sometimes, but that's different stuff. Here nor there. Yeah. So I put this data analysis report together, 26 pages. I said a bit about my past for context. I, I took some stuff from there about how to treat the gay community in the homeless shelter and I can't seem to find it right now. It is there. My, my laptop seems to have seized up. I'm going to send you everything. Now. Okay, so, no worries. Um, and then I did a data analysis report. Um, and then I put all that report in the presentation I'd already built from the last, over the course of two years with my research. I put it all together, tweaked it, made it pretty, formatted, edited, tweaked it, made it pretty, <laughs> till I was satisfied. So I sent it out there and I said, now they're going to pay me. I've done my own money. It cost me $800 to do the survey. They're going to pay me. Nobody came forward. Nobody. I seized, And I wanted to release during Pride Week, but I thought that wouldn't be fair to my friend Sean. Sean says, oh, the president of Pride is also a friend of mine. She used to work in the shelter. Okay. Good lady. The best. I'll have to get, reach out to her. Oh, Sean? She works at the Boys and Girls Club now. She's... Um, resource development she has got a great story of her own okay. and she's also a spoken word artist she's she's an amazing she is managing the fourth largest pride now in Canada we had a hundred thousand people at pride last year a wow. hundred thousand that's pretty cool I remember marching in pride 20 years ago and they were lucky if we got five thousand awesomeness so anyway I put this all together and I wanted to release it I tried to get the media I've been on media so many times but nobody took a bite nobody bit even my friends over at Global and I know I've done some interviews with Jill Crowe nobody took a bite I went fine and I was like Arr. so, so I, what was the turning point then what was the moment that when people started picking up on this really truthfully New Year's Day this year really yeah because that story came out and what I did is I reached out to her she had done a Rosa Saba right did a story and two of my friends who were doing um, a piece about their their drug use and safe consumption and I thought I wonder if she's into social justice would she do my story I reached out it took a while and then she met me she didn't have a car it was a really bad snowy day. She came up and met me in Tim Hortons in my local area in Bennington Heights, because we live in Bennington. 
We talked, I took my laptop, she didn't take pictures. And then we met and took the picture outside Pride offices. I asked Pride and they said, absolutely. Pride have been so with me on this. The only presentation, by the way, I gave, the Ally Toolkit Conference for Allies, for the community, they asked me to present there. This is the first time they've ever talked about homelessness in the queer community. And now, as of next week, I've been invited to do the interagency stuff with all the queer organizations in Calgary and join in. Good for you. And to be part of that conversation. You must be proud. I am very, very, very proud of my work. I've worked for this, Chris. I've worked hard. I've cried. I've sworn. And I'll be honest with you. But I've done it. Now what I've decided to do, I went to Edmonton. Yeah. Another homeless conference. Okay, Winnipeg. Then we went to Hamilton. Now we're back in Edmonton for November last year. 1,500 people going crazy. I And I'm on two research teams as well, national research teams. One, one women's national research, and I'm offering the queer voice, the only queer voice across the country. I'm on the women's, yeah. women's homelessness research network. Cool. Awesome. Oh yeah, I kind of, I didn't push my way in, it just kind of happened. But the cool thing about the chair of that committee, also got an Order of Canada. Very cool. Well, that's awesome. So, and then I'm also on the aging in the right place because in homelessness, I don't know if you know, when you're over 50, you're classified as senior in homelessness. I didn't know about homelessness. Yes, it is, because homelessness has a mortality rate of 50%. The average age of someone dying in homelessness is 37 to 47. Wow. Yeah. So am I lucky to be alive at 59? Yes. And do I thank God every day? I would. I do. And I look at my wife and she she gave me a hug. She gave me a hug. Oh my God, she gave me a hug. I'm home. Yeah. And I'm grateful and I never forget it. I'm humbled by that experience, Chris. Humbled. So anyway, I'm diverting. I hope you edit this because I'm all over the place. No, it's it's an honest conversation. conversation. (laughs) Yeah, okay, okay. This is a conversation between two friends, Hillary. So you go up to Edmonton and now... The the people start asking me, Alex, Alex couldn't stay long because he had to fly homesick. Dr. John Ecker is going to publish my survey in the Homeless Hub, which is the research network, Canadian Observatory of Homelessness. It's going to get published countrywide. Wow. That only happens to academics, and he's publishing me. If he would get on with it, but he will do it, because John's a John's a huggy-buggy good man. Yeah. He's the director of evaluation at the Canadian Observatory of Homelessness. And also, one of the researchers I'm working with on the Women's Network happens to be a colleague of John's, so don't worry. I have my ways. So that's this is phase one, is the Calgary survey. So and Phase one is the Calgary survey yeah. and the research. And the research. So and you the go 122 to presentation, 22 slide presentation with 27... 26 citations. Okay. That's phase one. That's phase one. Phase one is done. So you go to Edmonton to do the homeless uh, conference there. Yeah. And, and then you, you, at what point do you say, okay, phase two needs to start and where do I go to phase two? Oh, I, I knew that a long time ago. So you knew I that? Phase one. Okay. Because Edmonton's our second biggest city. And so I had heard... You always wanted to keep it within Alberta? No. Oh, no, it's going to go big. It's going to go across the country. Okay. But that's a conversation that is started to happen. In phase three, four, five, or six? Basically, okay. yeah. But phase two right now is... Phase two. So I knew I was going to go to Edmonton. So I talked to someone with Homewood Trust, who's like the system planner for homelessness in Edmonton. He's now become my contact there. Yep. And he said, you're going to do this? And I said, yeah, I've got to find funding, but I'll find it. Watch me. 
I knew I would. And then I started working with a guy that reached out to me and I'm working on a project with him and he pays me to give him insight on an honorarium okay. on intersectionality, intersectionality within the commu- gay community. He's gay too. He's a doctor, a research doctor. Wow. With the Centre of Newcomers, so he reached out to me and we started working together. And he helps me and I help him and he said, you can't pay for this alone. We're funding the whole thing. We are. I said, yeah, give me a budget. I said, 1,050. He said, got it, it's funded, done. <laughs> if you can't tell, she just did a little happy dance there. I did a little happy <laughs> dance, yeah. So anyway, so I'm working on it, but I knew I wanted to go to Edmonton as well. I still want to go to the seven cities. Now, the seven cities in in Alberta are the homeless cities who are part of the homeless partnering strategy with the federal government. Which are what? Calgary, Edmonton, Red Deer, Lethbridge. Medicine Hat that's basically ended homelessness. There's always homelessness, but they basically ended it. They can give someone a home as soon as they're homeless. Grand Prairie and the Fort McMurray area. Okay. Now, Fort McMurray could be kind of tough for me, but, you know, I'm, i I got to get funding. This is a lot of money. Yeah. So, uh, the other ones, I'm hoping to do 20 in Edmonton, but if I get 25 people, I'll pay for 25. I've got funding for 20, but I'll pay the other five out of my pocket. Okay. 125 bucks, I'll find a way. Yeah. Not a big deal. Next one would be Red Deer. Then Lethbridge. Then we'll see what happens. But there's 61 homeless partnering strategy communities across Canada. There is talk that they want me to do it in every single one of them across the whole country. Uh, it's talk. It's not a handshake. It's talk. So now, I have a friend who works at the Canadian Alliance who is, seems to be my biggest fan. She said, they asked me when I was in Edmonton to do a training. I said, well, I've got an hour and a half. They said, no, you need a day and a half. To be a certified trainer with the Canadian Alliance, you need an hour and a, half, uh, a day and a half. Can you do it? And I went, yeah. I'm thinking, okay. I got this. And I've already done the framework and I'm going to send you the framework on that one too. You're going to get so much stuff, you're not going to be bored for the weekend. You'll have reading material. But anyway, so I said, okay, I've got this. They said, but this time you're going to get paid for doing the work. Enough for you doing a free ride. It start, it ends now. So I built the framework. So phase two, stage one is the survey yep. in Edmonton. Stage, uh, the, the second stage of that is building the toolkit once I get the funding. Now, I, I just talked to someone two days ago, my contact with the Canadian Alliance Technical Training Assistant Program, and he said, we're going to give you the link to the Homeless Partnering Strategy Reaching Home. Okay. And we're going to find a way of you doing this. I have a colleague at CHF who is a grant writer. She's going to help me write the grant. I've already done a funding proposal for $15,000. I'm going to give myself four months to do it. I'm paying myself 3000 a month. Because I think it's about time I got paid a decent wage for this. Just a tad. Full-time work. All the committees I'm on, well, two of them I'm going to ask for a leave of absence. They're given to me because they're very supportive. Yeah. So they're they're can, supportive of the research what, that you're doing? Oh, absolutely. On one of the committees, I'm the only gay woman on the committee. I got that committee to go in pride and show how inclusive they were for the homeless people. Wow. Good for you. Just Small doing another. steps, right? Of course. Yeah. I'm I'm the queer voice on those committees, believe me, and everybody knows it and nobody cares. They're, they're very supportive. Calgary Homeless Foundation is very supportive of the queer community, by the way. So, now what we're doing is I'm waiting for the link. It should come this week. 
I'll put in my funding proposal because I've got a lot of research doctors working with me. We'll get that done. Once I get the 15 grand and I know it's coming, I start work. Okay. So you start work then. On the toolkit. Okay. But you're still starting the process of starting the surveys. and That's already started. Oh, it has. Okay. I haven't got any input yet, but it takes a while. I've sent out to every single agency. My contact with the Canadian Alliance is sending me some more agencies in Edmonton. Yeah. And then I'll get them all assigned. So now I'm booking them all at once. Now I'm hoping to get 20 by the end of February. Do you think you will see the same answers or results? Not the same answers and results, but do you, do you think you will see the same themes that you saw in Calgary? Or do you think it will be completely different depending on the city that you're in? From what I've heard, when I put this out there and my story was released on January the 1st, yeah. I heard from people in Edmonton who work. We know you. We know it. so many people have picked up on my story in the Star. Toronto Star is a national newspaper, right? Yep. And now you're doing this. This is giving me exposure I need. This will help me. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm dry as usual. Do you need more water? No, I'm good. Don't worry, I've got a wee sip left. Okay. So this is what's going to happen. Okay. Once I get that, I, I, the Edmonton stuff is going to come in. Then I'm going away for three days. I'll find a centralized place. I'll find a cheap hotel. And one of the, my colleagues who works in homeless outreach, his husband or boyfriend or partner or whatever, works as a night manager for a major hotel chain. He's going to get me a family rate. Yay. Yay. So I can save my funder money because I don't like taking advantage of people. When I do stuff like this, I pay for my own food because I'm a very cheap eater. So, and I'm going to go to a place that serves me a big breakfast in the morning. I'm not stupid. I like my breakfast in the morning, you know. Then I'll go out. the morning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So then I'll get the, either the survey participants to come to me at the hotel. And if they can't, I'll find a way of finding my way around Edmonton. Mm-hmm. I was homeless in Edmonton. I should be okay. Yeah. The only problem with me is I can't stay at anyone's house in Edmonton. I trigger. Mental health trigger. PTSD trigger. So I have to be in a hotel. Then I'm safe. Not in a motel. Hotel. And my funder knows that and he's okay with it. And then I'll get those all done, compile the data again, and that data analysis will be done and that will be released. And I'll put it in with my presentation. Now, when I'm doing the toolkit, both the survey results of Calgary and Edmonton will be in the toolkit as well as everything else I'm doing. Wow. You've got a big year ahead of you. I do. I start my. How does a six-year-old do it? <laughs> Is it just the determination to end this? Like you said, end homeless. It's got to be. It's got to be. And I've also, um, I've been asked. Well, I kind of asked, and they said do it. And I'm sure we're going to get in. There's a conference coming up on just research data, and it's usually academics that submit. It's in Calgary, but it's research data from all across the country. And I've been asked to put in a submission for my data. So. Plus, the Seven Cities Homeless Conference with all those seven cities is coming up in Edmonton again in June. Yay. And one of the pieces of work I'm doing on the National Homeless Memorial, or not the National, the Calgary Homeless Memorial, the doctor there wants me to go with her and do a, a workshop there. And that means I'm going to submit a proposal for my work as well. So I'm working on it. So you've got a busy year. Oh, totally. So... You've got phase two started. Yes, I do. It's going good. It is. 
what's the future hold though? Let's 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 put on our magic hat here and think about what happens in five years from now. Discrimination ends in our community. For Is that your goal? People. Five years? Ten years? 20? Five years. Five years. Five years. So twenty twenty-five. Every single homeless service sector agency is going to have pride flags, a safe flag in their agencies, in the shelters, and in the affordable housing units. Okay. Every single one. And if I have to pay for it and put them in there myself, guess what? You will? I will. Okay. Yes, I will. In fact, I'm looking at something now that I haven't told my wife about yet, but you know. She'll find out on her anniversary when she listens to it. I'm going to buy, see if I can find a funder for the flags. Yep. And then when I do this work, I'm going to take flags everywhere I go. So instead of a pair of socks for a homeless, I'm taking flags for the agencies. Put these in here and do it now. Yeah. I'm working on it. Do you think municipalities can do more? Well, Calgary's doing a lot. It's not doing enough because of the tax crisis we had, because I work with the city of Calgary on the sliding scale as well. And believe me, we have our battle every time we go in front of City Hall. Um, they could, but they're trying. Men Nentra is a big fan of helping people in poverty. I'm not a big Nenchi fan, but I also, I know him. He knows me first name basis. They're doing what they can. The province is going to screw up now because of this government, but we did have an affordable housing housing strategy that Laurie was doing a great job in, but now that's hit the window. And the Minister of Housing right now is my MLA, and I don't have any faith in her. Josephine Pot. But we'll see. I could probably get sued for that one too, couldn't I? Oh well. Um, so, but the federal government has got a $44 billion national housing strategy that started two years ago. They're going to reduce homelessness by 50% by 2030. Is it enough? No. But do you think that's achievable? Oh, absolutely. You have to believe, Chris. I, I do. So now I'm going to play devil's advocate in this oh, part of the okay. episode. Because I, I, you know what? I don't do a lot of research before I do interviews. Because I want to have the conversation with somebody about what they love. People will be out there and say... Homelessness is not my issue. They got there the way they got there because they're, they chose to be homeless. Bullshit. I agree. I'm just playing devil's advocate right now. How do you change those people's minds? You campaign. You campaign. You do stuff with, say, Calgary Homeless Foundation. I think they're working on something. You campaign. You show the story. You get out and get it out in the media. You keep talking. If you can change one mind, that conversation can go to the water coolers in the offices. You change the mind and you change the ideology. Yeah. Okay? I've seen it happen. Okay. Now, I've seen it happen. It does happen. Now, okay. if, I, if I have my Clown Action Committee t-shirt on, not that I did today because it's too damn cold. Did I put it on? Nope, no, black shirt. The wrong t-shirt, wrong black t-shirt. But... You keep on talking. You never give up. You go to conferences, and those people talk to conferences about their work and so on and so on. You keep talking in the street. I'm talking to you now, right? So there's an opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. So the other thing that people say, and yet again, it's uh, it's not my issue because you hear stories of people taking advantage of people. There's, there was a story back when I was in living downtown Toronto of a woman who has had posed as a homeless person, 
asking for money from people. And then when they would get, she would get the money, she would then go around into her car, drive home to her beautiful house. But don't you get that every way? You can't give up? No, exactly. And I get that. I do get that. So how do we look after our homeless without not looking after our homeless? Do you know what I mean? How do you... you got to catch those people when they do it. Yeah. Okay. The laws are changing. Hopefully for the better. Then those people can get charged. Because a lot of people take advantage of charity, right? Yeah. Oh, scammers. I have a very I, hard time giving money to charity to begin with. But, yeah, I do. Oh. I, uh, the, do you know if I have cash in my pocket when I'm going to a meeting, I'll turn around and say hi to a guy on the street and say, What's up, dude? Treat him like where he's at, not where you're at. Yeah. Get down on there and do the knee thing because I guarantee you don't shake hands. Their hands are probably filthy because they can't, they don't have as much excess yeah. to wash in the city. No, exactly. You buy them a coffee and say, where you at? Give a cup of coffee. The other one is a cup of them coffee. Okay. So in the northern community I just moved from, yeah. homeless is, is on the rise. It is? Where's there, that? Slave Lake? Yes. Okay. There's, there's a lot of homelessness, homeless people coming to Slave Lake. Um, one of the things that you hear when I was talking around the water cooler or at Tim Hortons or at Subway when I would go there is the homeless in that area are getting more aggressive. Because they're scared. Do you think that's what it is? Oh, yeah. They're in trauma. They're in pain. They're in PTSD. Yeah. So the thing that people often say is I will go in and get them food. And then I will come out and give them the food, and the homeless person will say, I don't want this, I want your money instead. And then give them money, ask them, say, say, look, man, I'm going in there, I can buy you a sandwich, and give you five bucks. If they spend it on drugs, that's their choice. Really? Yes, really. Don't use your values on somebody else's values. If they buy drugs, it's survival for them because they're living on the street. They need something to survive to get through it. Okay. Don't you dare place your values on someone else. You see a person where they're at, not where you expect them to be. Otherwise, they will retract. They won't react. They will retract and they will not interact. Don't do that ever. You don't do that with someone else. I can make a value judgment about you right now. But I know you're a nice guy. Would I do that? Why would I waste my time? No, exactly. And I get that. And don't get me wrong. I'm not the one that's saying this. I know. And I'm, 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 just, not, I'm, I'm just saying from what I've heard. And this is this is the conversation that's not just happening up north. It's happening across the country, right? Yes, it it's, is. Homelessness is looked at as a bad thing. We don't want to see it. We don't want to hear it. Get out of our eyesight. Yeah. So and some people are like that. Yeah. And, and there's, there's some people's minds can never change. If you get an extreme, okay, in the States, who's anti-Semitic, do you think you're really going to change his mind not to be anti-Semitic? No. Are you going to change your mind who wants to, um, the Western provinces to exit? No. So do you think you're going to change the mind of some people who think homelessness people should be shot? No. But if you can get the majority, then you're going to help these folks. Do you think we're there? And gov- we're halfway there. So you don't think we're the majority right now? No, but we're halfway there because we've got a government and thank God they came back in. I'm not saying I'm a liberal, but for the sake of the homeless strategy, thank God they're back in. Because this is going to end. It's going to end. It's got to end. And there's people like me and Tim Ritter with the Canadian Alliance and so many people across the country, thousands of us. We believe. We have to believe. Otherwise, we couldn't do what we do. Homelessness will end. 
discrimination to my community or our community is going to end on my what it's done so are you saying all homelessness or are you just saying homelessness that we see because we talked about it all homelessness total homelessness there never been what's called absolute zero exactly there'd be functional zero so what would happen is if you were homeless and in two weeks in a town there'd be enough affordable housing then in two weeks with a bit of case counseling and a housing first module approach they could put you in a home straight away you don't have to wait for months and months and months and months and months and months month. what's the average wait time right now oh I would say it depends on the individual how hard they want to work at it probably two years so if you become homeless today on let's say if you became homeless on January 1st 2020 mm-hmm. you would not potentially be in a shelter until 2022 probably would I would I make a bet on it no but the average, I would say, is that way. And they're hard yeah, to get stats. Some are a little bit higher, some are a little bit yeah, lower. Yeah, and it's hard to get stats on that. Because some people aren't going to talk about it. Some of our homeless friends on the street are not going to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. They want to forget as much as possible. They're in pain. They're in such pain. Homeless trauma is worse than any other trauma you've ever heard of. They are beaten down. They are attacked. They're sexually assaulted. Some of them are sex workers to survive for companionship. And you're going to judge them? If anybody's going to judge them, and I say, how dare you? Is there uh, discrimination within the homeless community? But for all kinds? Yeah, absolutely. Like, we talked about your discrimination that you felt while you were in the shelter. Yeah, we did. But is there, oh, you're in a shelter and you're on the street. So you're not technically homeless because you're in a shelter. So no, 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 I'm no. actually homeless because I'm on the street. No. That type of... No, no, no. Most people know that. No, that's not that kind of discrimination. What might be discrimination if a trans man was in a male shelter? That would be discrimination. There's, I've heard of that in my surveys. Some people stopped transitioning for the sake of their safety. When they became homeless, they were in the middle of transition. They stopped because they were afraid for their safety and their well-being. The youth... That's... Oh, go ahead. Wrong. Yeah. The youth that you talked to, the 18-year-olds that you were talking to, the younger generation, yeah. um, I was... All, the majority of the youth that you talked to, were they identified as um, a member of the LGBT community? Yes. Okay. So, what was the... I had a few bisexual. Okay. Well, that's probably the LGBT. Yeah. So, what was the major theme for their being homeless? Was it family situation? A lot of it. I would say the majority was family. Okay. Or an ex-lover took everything. Like, like yourself? Yeah. But I would say the majority was family. You know, or the family lived in poverty, and once you're a family member in poverty, it's hard to get out of poverty. Nobody who's homeless chooses to be rich, Chris. They're all in poverty. Yeah. Nobody chooses to be homeless. And someone said to me the other day, oh, they choose to be homeless. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to justify that with an answer. That doesn't happen. Nobody chooses to be hungry to beg for coffee, but they still deserve dignity and respect. Dignity and respect is not tied to a set of house keys. It's tied to being a human being. And they have the charter that protects them. Yeah. It's a... 
I, I give you credit because I this is a subject that I know little about. I've never been homeless. Thank, That's okay. Thank you don't God. have to be. Um, I give you credit for being the woman you are today because thank honestly, you. like you look stronger, you look more resilient, and just in the hour and a half that we've talked, I've learned more about you than I thought I would ever learn. And I've now got a newfound respect for you because of what you've gone through. And that's what this is all about. This is about not... I I hate Twitter. I despise it with a passion. Oh, I like Twitter. (laughs) I I hate the back and forth, the trolls, right? Well, true, but you ignore that. I know, but we've lost the ability to talk to each other. Well, that's true. We should. We should have a conversation. And that's what this is about, is opening up that conversation. Like you said, one conversation can lead to two conversations, which lead to four, to lead to eight, to 16, to 32, to 64, right? But you see, now we've talked for two hours. I know that you do some video work. Yeah. So when I'm ready to do my videos for my toolkit, I might say, hey, Chris, do a proposal for me, man. Let's, let's do see it. We, let's see what we can do. Yeah. Right? Or, Chris, my website's screwing up. Exactly. Right? And that's a conversation between grown, two grown-ups who respect each other, can sit down over a cup of coffee and BS. Exactly. And that's what this is all about. This is about having conversations. So that brings you to another conversation and another conversation. Because you don't change policy and federal government's mindset without conversations within the voting public. And that's what we need to start doing. Twitter is not the way to change public policy. No. Twitter is for people who want to express themselves in a way that is either for or against something, I find. True. Okay? Like, that's why I'm more Instagram, because Instagram is all happy, lovely photos of people. I don't even get Instagram. I know I could, but I, you know what, Chris? I don't have time. Exactly. I don't hey, take a lot you, of time. You have no time. <laughs> no, right now I don't have a lot of time. But well, you know what? I'll go home when get home wifey and I will chill because she's not working right now right yep. as I said we'll chill for a while and then I'll go back to work something will come up there'll be an email to answer there'll be something going on and if I don't keep up with my emails you get bogged down yeah and tomorrow I have another meeting and Friday I'm at the doctors and uh, medical all day and next week starts all over again but it's my job somebody asked me what exactly is your job I don't really know so that's why I call myself a community leader because I am a leader I'm well respected I'm well known and for the most part I know what I'm talking about good for you I think that's the perfect spot to leave it at Hillary thank you very much for doing this thank you and thank you for having me thank you for taking an interest in my life's work hey it was a pleasure of mine to get to know you and to get to know your uh life's work in a more intimate setting. Thank you. And once again, thank you to our guests for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. 
We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week. Thank you.